The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. What are you doing in the land of Zidor? We're travelers. The woman who shows herself, is she your wife? My companion. And you? Companion to both. This machine, how does it move? It's a solar craft. Gets its power from the sun. Asak, search it. We have nothing to hide. Very well. All we have are a couple of blankets and, and a little water in my friend's toolkit. I'm a sort of engineer. And what is this? It's an audio book from before the nuclear wars. We found it in one of the old cities. There are no books permitted here except our holy books. Did you have permission to cross our borders? We didn't know. I spoke to him, woman! Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, May 25th, 2017. I'm Bob Metz. And I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. And welcome to our show today, where we have two very interesting and undoubtedly controversial guest to share with you today. But first, before we introduce them, let's get underway right away by reminding all our listeners that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org, subscribe to Just Right on iTunes, hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave, visit us at www.justrightmedia.org, where you can access all of Just Right's social media links, including Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and of course, all of our past broadcasts. And joining us in studio today, we have two guests. And one has been a guest before, and that is Ted Harlson. Welcome back to the show again, Ted. It's been a few years since you've been on the show. I'm glad to be back. And you're here on a very different issue today, although not so unrelated to the ones you were involved with with Gary McHale. Very similar, with, yes. With the Caledonia situation. And, of course, you're an objectivist, and you've been on the show in regard to that issue. And you've brought with you today someone that you've been forming a relationship with and helping out in her cause, and that is Sandra Solomon. I guess you're, well, what is the name of your group, that Sandra? That no, I'm just a solo human rights activist. You're just a solo person yes. because they keep associating you with various groups. You're not, no. you're not associated with groups? Like they're helping me with the cause, but I'm not a member of any group or any uh, oh, organization. Glad we, that, glad we got that straight right off the top yeah. because right. there's a lot of misinformation about Sandra Solomon yes. on the internet. That's so for you're sure. not with yes. Rise Canada? No. And because, you know, they, they said some disparaging things about you in the JDL right in the front page of... Uh, no, of, I'm of a solo human rights activist. So you're doing yeah. this all on your own. Yes. And so the, the other groups that you see that come to you are just doing that on their own in a sense too. Is that right? Yes. Well, let's talk about what she's doing on her yeah. own, too, because a lot of our listeners may not have heard of Sandra Solomon. Um, why don't you tell us your, your background, Sandra, your story? First, I want to thank you for having me today. And uh, that's, uh, that's a pleasure for me to speak and uh, share uh, the message. And it's a very important, serious message. Well, thank you for uh, doing that, because yes. I think people need to hear what you have to yes, say, even if they disagree. But I think getting that conversation going is a must. It is a must, and uh, 
the what I'm doing it's out of concern and out of love for Canada and out of uh, appreciation for the Western civilization that I've been open to. I moved uh, to Canada. Uh, my name is Sandra Solomon. I was born uh, into a Palestinian uh, Muslim family in the West Bank, a city called uh, Ramallah. And uh, we moved uh, to uh, Jordan a little bit when after my birth. And then we finally settled in Saudi Arabia uh, when I was nine years old. Saudi Arabia governed by 100% Sharia law uh, constitution. All my education got into the Islamic education very serious at the from very young age. Uh, we used to memorize the Quran and study the life of Muhammad, the founder of Islam, and the Hadith and all that Islamic historical as well, like the conquest and uh, what Muhammad did and we study very much like majority of the Sharia law as well as a full constitutional, like governmental subjects. And later on, when I start to do to rebel against Sharia law, to rebel against the Islamic values, and when it comes to women, women rights and freedom of speech, I got persecuted a lot since I was in school because many times I would refuse to cover my face and to submit. I refused to submit to what they've been telling me. Now, this was and in Saudi Arabia? In Saudi Arabia, and especially when I get to high school, uh, when I used to study a bit of uh, psychology and I fall in love with uh, the, the depths of uh, criticizing and uh, having uh, understanding what I'm reading. So I, I start to uh, read the Quran from a psychological point of view. Like I analyze the God of Islam and whoever wrote this book. And uh, when I told them that this book is man-made and whoever wrote this book have a psychological issues and it doesn't bring any stability in the mind of people in the heart. And uh, when I saw that the whole uh, Islamic teaching promoting violence and and uh, I, I failed to find like peace in, into it. At the same time, the main thing that what uh, makes me go more angry against it and rebel uh, that the woman, like I couldn't speak my mind. Uh, they were like always persecuting me and and stopping me from asking questions. I was all the time questioning Quran, questioning Islam. Why is this? Why is that? Why I have to cover? Why I have to wear the hijab? Why I have to cover my face? Uh, why men have more rights than us as a woman? Even my family, I was persecuted. My son, my uh, my brother attempted uh, to murder me many times because I refused to wear the hijab. The fact... Um, this is this is your own brother? That's my own brother. Because they, I take it you don't have a good relationship with him. Uh, no, <laughs> at all. It's uh, to them, any woman who or any girl start to rebel, questioning and refuse to submit, uh, considered, you know, ca ca causing mischief in the land. And there's something called uh, honor killing. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's application of Sharia law. So if a man kill his, doesn't matter, his daughter, his wife, his, any women in the family, and for for the sake, for the, to bring the honor, if she brings shame, he will be celebrated and he won't go to jail at all. So therefore, I was, um, you know, all against the Islamic teaching and Islamic Sharia law as a constitution. Uh, since I was young and they end up forcing me into a marriage. I was forced into marriage in Saudi Arabia. Again, 
more of more of rebelling and refusing and and all that. Uh, well, how is that done, if I may ask? How does one be, get forced into a marriage? Is someone picked for you? My you, dad. My so dad it's a family arranged. matter. Yes, uh, it's uh, he's not a family member, but my dad arranged it okay. with the guy. At that time, I was like a house arrest for a couple of years because my brother, like, and they refused to let me go and continue my education to go to college or university. Well, the you're asking too many questions. Because, yes, <laughs> the fact they were afraid that I'm going to bring a shame to the family or I might go. Like one time, my brother as well, like, attempted to murder me. And because I was talking to a guy, he saw me talking to a guy. He just, like, he pull up the, they all, most of the guys there, like, they have the, like, you know, the small knife. Mm-hmm. And he actually physically attacked the guy and he hurt him and he p- stabbed him in the stomach and uh, the guy was uh, hospitalized. I was almost like, that's it, murdered. If it wasn't for my grandma, uh, she protected me many times from the hands of my brother. If it wasn't for her, I would have been killed a lo- long time ago. But things happened. It was like uh, lots of oppression. Mm-hmm. Like I felt like oppressed, humiliated. You know, I I had to stand up for my dignity, for my uh, as a human, for my rights. And uh, but I fight it. I keep. I've, I've been fighting Islam since I was in teenage. So this is to me is nothing in you until I managed to gain my full freedom. And, uh, and how did that happen? My ex applied to Canada for like immigration. Oh yeah. And uh, through him, I got my uh, papers, but I keep continue fighting until I, uh, again, my, I got my papers, my PR well, this card. This was the person you were forced uh, to marry? Forced to marry, yes. And so he ended up being your he ticket en- out. Exactly, <laughs> so uh, things happen for a reason. Mm-hmm. And uh, praise the Lord, I, I managed to escape and I had a child with me. He was a three years old baby at that time. And uh, I managed to just leave everything behind and just escape and came to Canada. I already had my papers, so I had mm-hmm. no problem with papers. And uh, that's it. Uh, from there, I start uh, from the streets. I had no language, no money, nobody. I had no, I know nobody, but I, uh, I gained my freedom. And that's all what I want. I just want my freedom. And, and when was that that you were 2005. 2005. You have yes. a, a relationship with uh, Yasser Arafat, aid, is that correct? Uh, my uncle. Uh, was an aide to Yasser he's, Arafat. Uh, yes, he's, uh, Sakhir, his name is Sakhir Habash. He's uh, with the Palestinian uh, authority with Yasser. He was always with uh, Yasser Arafat. And uh, he's the one who led uh, the second intifada against Israel. So he's very much active with the yeah, Fatah, count- Fatah movement. But he's dead now. He's oh, gone. is he? I see. Yeah. So. What's going on? I just wanted to take a minute and reach out to everybody and talk about a certain subject that came up the other morning. And um, I, think, I, th- I think people should know about it. And uh, I'm currently in, in Iraq, which is one of the countries that uh, were on the list. The other morning, uh, we were having a discussion on the executive order and a lot of the Iraqis obviously showed their uh, their displeasure in this executive order. Now I'm not here to get into a discussion with you about policies or this or that or anything like that. I just want to talk to you and make a comment about uh, the discussion I actually had with with these these gentlemen. So I listened to what they had to say and after after they were done, you know, yelling and screaming about 
their their opinion on things, I asked a simple question. And I got an answer to that simple question, and I got it without hesitation. My simple question was, as an American, if I went out in town right now, would I be welcome? And uh, they instantly said, absolutely not, you would not be welcome. What would happen if I went out in town? And they said, the locals would snatch me up and kill me within an hour. I'd be tortured first, and after they were done torturing me, I'd probably be beheaded. It would, you know, go on video for everybody to see as, you know, an example. I already knew this was going to happen, but I wanted to hear it from them. I wanted to hear it from them. And, you know, the point of it is, the point I'm trying to make is, you know, this is the local populace that would do this. This isn't ISIS. This isn't Al-Qaeda. This isn't the PMU. This isn't a militia from the Iranians or anything like that. This is the local, the local populace that would do this. My question to them was pretty simple then after that. If you would do this to me in your country, why would I let you in my country? Because all this means to me is that if you had the opportunity to take the life of an American, you would do it. So maybe that's something you all need to think about back there. If this is the way some of these cultures feel, this is the way that these countries feel about Americans, why would you be so naive to believe that if they came to the United States, they would do anything any different than what they would do right here in their own country? I don't know, man. Just trying to inform you about what's actually happening on the ground in one of the banned countries. Something you should probably think about. We're with Sandra Solomon in studio, and she's been telling us her story about her life living in Saudi Arabia and her emigrating to Canada. Now, you've come to Canada now in your story, and uh, what happened since then that got you so politically involved here on on this side of the ocean? Lots of things. Uh, The moment I saw, uh, I was not really aware very much of what's going on busy in my own life and trying to make a living for myself and my hmm. child until I saw Trudeau when he got elected. Some things that he said and him surrounded with uh, lots of Muslims and uh, speaking all good about Islam and trying to accommodate a Muslim above, above another groups. And uh, slowly, slowly, my eyes start to be open more and more of the Islamization of Canada. When I see lots of things happening that uh, I can see things are changing rapidly, fast. I see like a lots of halal food restaurants all over the place. Uh, sometimes uh, I get stuck, like if I want to eat something, everything, everywhere it's halal certificate, halal certificate. I'm a beautician. Many hair salons in the cities, they start to make a section for hijabi women only or a special room for hijabi women only for Muslims. I start to see as well, like at the TTC, I I protested it like a a big poster for like uh, the dawah advertising for 
Islam, it says, no God but Allah and Muhammad is messenger uh, and the TTC. Many things happened slowly, slowly to the point where they wanted to accommodate Muslims to bring the Islamic Jum'ah, uh, Friday prayer, with the khutbah into, into the, the public school. school. Yeah, school board, yes. Yeah. That one, it got, that's it. I said, enough, it's enough. Then I start um, getting involved. That's that was, when I first heard of you, too. Yes. Me, too. Yes. I couldn't, I couldn't help it, especially when it comes to the kids. To me, it's, very, it's a red line. It's getting worse because many kids will be Islamized or convert to Islam. And the fact that uh, when I used to be in Saudi Arabia between 10 and 11, I witnessed the beheading myself in the execution square. And I know how bad for kids to brought up into this dehumanized ideology. So when they're going to present Islam to the kids, of course, they're going to be using taqiyya, deceiving. And very much uh, many kids will be turned against their parents if they convert to Islam. Let me take devil's advocate position here for a moment. Uh, Bob and I have interviewed a lot of Muslims before, Muslim friends, and they would be basically called cultural Muslims or moderate Muslims. And they would pray five times a day, maybe. You know, they may have read the Quran, maybe not. You know, they fast at the times of fasting and they they may not their wives may not wear the hijab or anything like that. So moderately Muslim. Now, if they wanted their child in the public school system to pray on Friday in a separate prayer room, they're already children of Muslims. What's wrong with that? I mean, they're not preaching Islam. They're simply accommodating a Muslim's child who wants to pray on Friday. Uh, first of all, there's uh, nothing called the moderate Muslim. I don't believe in that at all. Number two, Canada, it's a secular country. A separation from uh, religion and, and state. Ah, but part public school system yeah. also lets cr- yeah. Christians off for Easter and Christmas. Even though it's a secular, you know, that that's the case. Yeah, but they took the Lord uh, prayer long years ago from the school. I am for it to separate no religion in school at all, include Islam, include the Christianity, include Hinduism, whatever. But if you don't allow some accommodation, again, I'm playing devil's advocate here, you know. (laughs) If you don't allow for that, then what's going to happen, I think, is that the Muslims who want their children to at least have this small accommodation, Mm -hmm. a room set aside to pray on Fridays, they're going to say, well, I can't go to a public school, so now they're going to go to the madrasa, and there they're going to get even further indoctrinated into Islam, right? If they were just like, if they were moderate, and I'll use that word if you don't agree with it, but yeah. a, a moderate Muslim, yeah. then all of a sudden, well, yeah, well, I'd like my child to, to pray on Fridays, so I'm gonna say, I can't do it in the public school system, so I'll isolate him from society. Yes, uh, well, number one, I, I, I grow up in 100% Sharia law, country we never did any prayer in school that's never interesting prayed. never number one number two according to sharia law nowhere it says in the quran or the hadith that you have to pray on time number three the juma friday prayer the the prayers itself if they miss the prayer time like let's say if the adhan the call up for the prayer uh, came at like I would say maybe two o'clock or something. According to Sharia law, it's halal. It's permissible. Halal means permissible. 
uh, they can combine the two prayer together when they go home. It's not like something against Sharia Allah. Uh, so what you're describing then are Canadian Muslims approaching the government to put into the public school system something that's not even practiced in a 100% Sharia country of Saudi Arabia. Yes. So why would they do that? That's the Islamization. That's the part of the plan to to bring Islam to public school. And I don't believe that they're going to be doing it only into a separate rooms. They gonna, they would have to bring the Quran with them. Uh, to me, Quran, it's a hate literature on its own. And they will bring another book to give it away to the other kids. Because uh, in Islam, uh, they teach even the kids, even from the young age, that they have to do da'wah. Da'wah to bring people to Islam. This is one Proselytize. of them. Yes. And another thing, many uh, of the recitation of the Quran and the khutbah, they might say it in Arabic. And many kids, they don't understand the language, even the teachers. So I don't guarantee that they will not say anything has hateful message in it when people don't understand it. This is the thin edge of the wedge you're saying. Yes. It's a, it's a way to get their foot into the door and then by increment Islamize the public school system. Exactly. For example, uh, it happens already in many incidents that they start give the kids assignments to uh, answer them. Like, for example, how do you spell the name Muhammad? Or how many prayers Muslim pray? Or what's the celebration? What's Eid? You know, slowly, slowly, they're going to give the other kids, the Canadian kids, assignments to answer related to Islam. And just call it religious studies or something exactly. like that. They yeah, will I've give... been through that, yeah. Exactly. Well, yeah, I think Bob and I were both in Catholic schools. Yeah. But, but they taught us about other religions, that's too. My, we that's had what I was going to ask. In from all kinds I was going to ask Sandra, you know, um, what's wrong about learning the facts about another religion? There's just over a billion Muslims in the world. Shouldn't a Canadian or anybody who wants to know about the world know about Aid, know about the Quran, read the Quran? just to find out exactly what the Quran says for yourself rather than hear it from other people. What's wrong with lear- learning that? Nothing wrong with that. At, uh, and, and there's a certain age, it's not recommended, not because they, don't, they cannot distinguish between, uh, I would say, the good and evil. Sure. Like uh, there's a certain, the, the, when the kids are like six years old, seven years old, eight years old, nine years old, they still at age where they cannot, uh, they don't know if it's that the truth or not. I don't mind to give it like uh, at the high school maybe, when uh, as, a, as a seminar, lecture, something, but not like in a public school to be in a system itself. That's when like, I learned about foreign yes, religions was yes, when I was in high school, not yes, before. Yes, not before that. And also it has to be brought up in a way where kids allowed to question and to criticize. The way they bring it to the school, not allowing the criticism. Mm-hmm. Like, let's say, for example, if a teacher uh, bring the subject of Islam, are the other kids, the kafir kids, the infidel kids, are they going to be allowed in that class, in that seminar, to say, oh, I don't believe in Muhammad. Muhammad, uh, he was a, a warmonger. And uh, he uh, he did lots of awful, evil thing. And not to be harmed from other Muslim kids, 
he just been criti- he's just been you know mm-hmm. he, he criticizing oh quran uh, it's a hate literature are are he going to be safe after after he said these things you know what i mean is is he, is he going to not be attacked by other muslim kids so there's an underlying threat of violence that permeates the teaching or the introduction of any uh, form of islam in public school because if you have muslims who are there who are actually good Muslims in, in, in that sense of the word, and they, they are literalists, they will kill the infidel wherever he may find them. Yeah, they will harm these kids. They will not going to be able to have a stability in the school. So therefore, I try, because especially at this age, you know, the teen age is still uh, more energy and more like they are open and they uh, question. That's the age where I left Islam, basically, like when I start to criticize. Islam and uh, be rebel against it. So especially this age. So there, therefore, I recommend to leave it all until the kids finish high school. And then if they want to study after on their own in university and colleges, attend seminars, uh, attend whatever they want to attend, even if they want to go to the mosque to learn from the imams, I have nothing against that. Like, you know, they're free, but they're adults now and they can handle themselves in case of something happened to them like if someone attacked them or something uh, they can easy like call the cops or whatever if anything happened to them they can speak up their mind and uh, that's what's my concern to keep islam away from the schools until the kids can criticize and they can distinguish they're uh, adult enough they're growing enough well with current legislation uh, in canada now with m103 is just a motion however but it, again the thin edge of the wedge Criticism of Islam, even particularly this show, could be breaking that law. It's not really law, but breaking that code, whatever whatever you want to say it. And I have no doubt that at some point in the future, that with Justin Trudeau at the helm and the people he's surrounded him with, that um, while it's a motion just now, it would certainly be law in the future that it would be illegal to criticize Islam. And they might throw in there, oh, uh, religion. You know, but specifically, they're even talking about it specific now, just Islam and Islamophobia. They're not talking about criticizing Christianity or Judaism or Hinduism or atheism. You can't criticize Islam. So when we come back, I'd like to get Ted's take on his attraction to the activist of Sandra Solomon. Hi, guys. I hope everybody's doing good. Uh, I've been home a couple days now. I put a video out. Not too long ago about what would happen if, uh, you know, an American went out in town in uh, Baghdad. Obviously, uh, it, this video went viral pretty quickly. And uh, everything that went happened to me after, you know, the video went viral. Me being evacuated out of Iraq 15 hours after, or 16 hours afterwards and so on. So, uh, you know, guys, uh, I understand if not everybody agrees with, with what I've said. Um, but uh, this is this is from the ground. I mean, you know, I, I spent 11 years out there doing what I do, and uh, you know, I've seen a lot. And there's a lot more that could be there's a lot more that could be said. And I, you know, I haven't said those things. At the end of the day, my message wasn't to to harm anybody or to say anything that that wasn't true. It was it was 100% true, and that's just a smidget of actually what goes on there. I mean, the corruption and, and the extortion and the, the constant, you know, battle that we have as Americans 
or you know any other country in that matter dealing with certain regions of the world. What is it? What we are doing is wrong. Samuel, remember, you are only an advisor. But what is it we fear, Asa? Are we so weak? Is our faith so easily corrupted that we must condemn the innocent? You're listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Visit www.justrightmedia.org to offer your financial support for a show like this, which you will not hear in the regular media, that's for sure. And while you're there, sample some of our timeless past broadcasts, all archived for your listening enjoyment. Robert? Well, I want to ask Ted, um, what first brought your attention to Sandra Solomon's uh, fight? Uh, was it the Peel Board? Uh, she, she stood in front of the Peel Board during a, a public input session and basically made headlines as an apostate Muslim criticizing the introduction of Islam and, and the Friday prayers in the Peel Public School Board. Um, was it that that attracted you to um, this activist or was it further action that she was doing, other protests? And we can get into those later too. It was another protest. A friend told me about her, that she's speaking against the evils of Sharia and how it's unworkable in our systems. And I thought, wow, okay, that sounds pretty good. I have to take a look. So I looked and I was invited by Sandra to come down on Saturday to a a march uh, against uh, Bill M-103 and to stand up for freedom of speech. And the attraction was, I like this person because she doesn't just talk, she acts and lives her conviction and is, is unpretentious. And I thought, well, this is my kind of person. So I decided to go down and I met her briefly. And um, I liked what I saw because uh, you were standing virtually by yourself with just a small group of people. And there was, um, how many, 300 people marching against us? It was just amazing. So I thought, okay. A person who's not afraid to be an individual, to stand, on, stand up for their convictions, um, which is, at that time, I understood as freedom of speech, uh, individualism in the true sense of uh, thinking for yourself and standing up for your soul convictions and exposing evil. And since then, I've kept in contact with Sandra, and that was it. And later, I learned about the um, Peel District School Board stand. To me, it's a sense of bravery. To stand up in front of 300 people who are, you know, um, have a reputation of violence, to stand up to them and say, no, it reminds me of, you said it was 300, it reminds me of the 300, you know, know, Sparta. (laughs) (laughs) This is Sandra. (laughs) (laughs) Or this is Canada. We just don't do that here. So that's what impresses me with Sandra Solomon is, is the, the courage to be able to do something like it. It's like a Tommy Robinson from Yes, um, from I admire Britain. him a lot. Yeah. I saw you in front of Justin Trudeau in, at the Mississauga City Hall. Again, um, mm-hmm. here is Justin Trudeau walking in like royalty, of course, to applause uh, of the, uh, the hangers-on. And you're in the middle of this crowd of maybe 50, 60 people that I could tell shouting that Justin Trudeau is a traitor to Canada, a traitor to free speech. Tell us more about that. No, I was like, uh, 
waiting for him to show up and uh, I'm the first one uh, in Canada to call him uh, jihadi Justin Trudeau <laughs> <laughs> uh, for me uh, I'm doing the best I can do to uh, wake up people and for them to see the truth uh, for what it is yes uh, Trudeau he turned his back on Canada and all the liberals and lefties uh, they're not doing what they're supposed to do to protect uh, Interesting freedom. you say all the liberals and the lefties. I was going to ask you, where did you find most of your support emanating from? Was it from the left or from the right? <laughs> and, uh, I mean, even the, all of those factions are even split amongst themselves. I imagine it's the right that's more supportive of your cause. Of course. And, and people who's, uh, who has a more of a, like a waking uh, of a Sharia law and how dangerous is it to the Western civilization, uh, most of these people are um, like supporting me and uh, uh, start. I once I started doing the rallies, I was uh, surprised that uh, many people start to actually take a physical stand and they come out and they stand with me. That's a good thing to hear. I'm wondering yes. if you're concerned that you're going to end up at some point in your crusade, if we can call it that, in the same situation as Tommy Robinson in England, who's in a terrible situation with the way the police, the British police treated him and his family. Now, I heard you you say how much you appreciated the police in Toronto at one of the rallies yeah. who came to your defense and took care of you the whole way. What a contrast. Uh, yes, uh, well, so far till now, I did not uh, have any problem with the police, I'll be honest. They were so protective and the fact that uh, they know I I'm not inciting hatred. I'm not there to incite hate and I'm not there uh, in a, I would say I'm not there also to in a violent way. So, so is that something that the police think Tommy Robinson is doing? No, not really. Oh. But uh, maybe the situation, I don't know exactly what's going on with the policing mm -hmm. in UK. Don't forget uh, UK being infiltrated more uh, way before Canada sure. when, when it comes to Islam and Islamization. Ted has personal experience with the police and freedom of speech, don't <laughs> you, Ted? Yeah, I just wanted to uh, bring you back to the uh, some memories. I was arrested in Caledonia, practically the same physical things. Violent thugs were attacking us, and uh, what we, Canis, wanted to do was just simply stand up for freedom of speech. Canace being? Canace being the Canadians for Charter Equality. And we were arrested uh, by the police, by SWAT teams. And it was a very backward situation where we were simply standing up for our rights, for being Canadians. And the police came in and did their race-based policing and arrested us. Now, I think that it might be due to the fact that we are fighting them in court still and they are reviewing their policies and now treating dissenters with much greater respect than before. I can't say that for a fact, but I suspect that's true. You certainly send a message into the system by taking by going to the courts, yes. not just leaving it at the protest level. Exactly. You, th you see yourself heading towards the courts at some point <laughs> in, in your in your fight, or is you don't think it's going to get to that point? Uh, it depends. Uh, so far, uh, I'm not saying anything that they can take me to court for it. Like so far, I'm I'm speaking uh, my experience living in Sharia law, mainly, and uh, I speak out of knowledge and evidence. We have uh, lots. But so did Ted. 
And yeah. so did Gary McHale, Mark Vandermaas. Yeah. And these people are being arrested for simply yeah. telling the truth and walking down the street. Yeah. Literally walking down the street. But the police arrest them to avoid any conflict. And then they let them away, you know, yeah. a few hours later. Well, they're, they're white supremacists. <laughs> <laughs> that's, 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 uh, maybe because I'm not One a white supremacist <laughs> like them. I'm joking. I'm Actually, just, if you look at yeah. Ted Harrelson, he's not, he's not even, well, he's half white. <laughs> he's, he's half white. Uh, no, it's I, just, I, I suspect that if the politicians were to get, if they were to see the road is clear for them to do whatever they want yeah. and arbitrarily rule, that they'll, they'll do it. But yeah. if they get some resistance and some feedback from the citizens who are standing up, then they'll change their minds because they're they have one goal in mind is to get voted and when they see that that may be failing they'll be pragmatic and change their minds yes well when it comes to the police and uh, what they do basically it's a bit complicated like i don't know why exactly they act uh, with it this way uh, when it comes to me many times i would have be with the with the mic you know saying so many things against Muhammad, against Quran, against Islam, and uh, you know nothing really. Uh, the police they were always standing there and saying to me, they stay there and they they don't like uh, prevented me to say whatever I want to say, and I I live in peace and nothing happened so far. So far, like we, we don't I cannot predict the future, what's gonna happen, especially if uh, M103 uh, become the law, right? So, uh, which is, uh, that's what we're working on. We're working on to raise uh, patriotism in people's hearts. And many patriots, I will call them patriots, the true patriots are rising up and uh, with no fear. And very soon I'm going for my tour across Canada. Tell us about that. Uh, yes, uh, I'm heading soon uh, toward uh, the West, like um, Winnipeg, Regina, and uh, Saskatoon, and and I'm gonna uh, be in Calgary, Raleigh, in June third, and uh, in Edmonton, Alberta. Like I'm gonna do Adber- Alberta and majority, also like the small cities and small like it's branching here and there, and I'm going ahead to Vancouver as well. I'm gonna be in Vancouver. So in this tour, I'm gonna be doing a lot of uh, protests and rallies in as much as I can, cities, uh, city halls, uh, downtowns, marching on the streets. And uh, I'm going to be giving away uh, people like a pamphlet, a flyer about Motion M103, because many people, they don't even know about Motion M103. So I'm going to give them a material for them to read it and to for better understanding and for them to take action for uh, for their rights. Uh, to to let the people that your freedom is going to be stripped away from you soon if you don't stand up now. So this tour, uh, hopefully it will uh, raise more awareness across the country. Now, you've, you've said you haven't really had much of a problem with freedom of speech in Toronto when you're standing up on the street corner or just shouting at Justin Trudeau. Yeah. But haven't you had something on uh, social media trying to uh, change it? You had to change your name on Facebook, wasn't it? The Facebook, many times they shut me down. Yeah, they shut my page. So many times I had to change uh, the name to create another account and all that uh, things. But uh, that's normal. It happens to me a lot. Uh, uh, yes, uh, because of uh, some posts, you know, uh, I I put it on Facebook. Uh, supposedly this one is uh, 
it doesn't match Facebook uh, terms and conditions and all that. You mean like speaking the truth? Yeah, for speaking the truth. Well, when it comes to Islam, my, uh, my criticizing to Islam, it's not like necessary I'm criticizing Muslims. I'm focusing into the ideology itself. I'm, fo- I'm focusing into the root of the problem, which is Muhammad, the founder of Islam, which is, I call him all the time, the leader of all terrorists. He well, let's, let's get into that a little more detail um, in a moment. Yeah. Seen enough? Enough? Have I seen enough? No, I remember the day Saddam Hussein became president of this country. I was still in short trousers. We ran through the streets shouting, Saddam, Saddam Hussein, Saddam Hussein, firing our guns. Even my father, even my father. This stuff, Munir. These people, I hope Said says something about this. They're criminals, deserters. Pornographers, counterfeiters, murderers, of course, putschists, enemies of the Republic. Saddam Hussein built this country. Never forget that. The schools, the roads, hospitals, the mosques. He gave the Iraqi people everything they want. He demands only one thing in return. Never raise a hand against his family. Do so and you will suffer. The people you love will suffer. Do well here, work hard, and you'll be one of the family. One day, all this will be over. Inshallah. Inshallah. Only God knows when. I hate horseflies and I hate Persians, but I hate QITs more! They insult us. They are filth. They maul our women. The QITs have been stealing $280 million a year from the oil fields at Rumela. $280 million a year! I just know the f***ing QITs are behind this. I hope my father wipes them out. The age of the sheikhs is over. Over! What? What are you doing right now? Hmm? Mm, I'm getting my nails done. Nice and sharp. The better to scratch you with. Did I ever tell you how much I love your ass? Hmm? Hmm? It's the best ass in Baghdad. <laughs> I'll see you soon. Hey, you, you! You'll meet many women. Whores. Wealthy women from Al Mansur who come looking for a favor and offer you favors in return. Schoolgirls, he snatches off the street. You'll be given your fair share. Never even speak to a woman a day has chosen for himself. He is insane. You know it, Manim. He's insane. You turn a blind eye, you have no choice. I understand that. You're a good man in a bad job. Look at him. He's psychotic. So, Sandra, let's turn to the meat of the issue. For you, it's not, as you say, Muslims per se. It is Islam, political Islam. But is there a distinction between religious Islam and political Islam? Islam, it's not religion. It's political uh, ideology covered 
with religion. Whatever the ritual practices that they do, you know, the prayer, the fast, uh, the hajj, uh, the pilgriming. Giving to the poor? Yeah, whatever, giving to the poor and all that. That's the zakah. They call them zakah. I'm not against that. You can pray whatever you want to pray. You can pray toward uh, Mecca, toward the uh, mountain, toward stone. It does not matter to me. As long as you're not opposite to people and as not as you're not forcing it into others to accept it. In Islam, it's totally different story. I'll take you 1400 years ago. And as I always say, if you're not going to understand what happened 1400 years ago, the people will never understand what's going on today and how to deal with it. Muhammad, when he started his claim as a prophet, nobody believed him. A very, very, very few number for 13 years when he was in Mecca. Before he went to Medina, he got connected with the group called in Arabic Al-Sa'alik, which is the bandits, thugs, criminals, like rapists. These criminals have been kicked out from the tribes. Sounds like brigands. Yeah. So he got connected with this group. And he said to them, like, if you help me with my dawa, my claim, uh, why you're living in the mountains? I will give you more land. I'll give you more money, more women. Because these thugs and bandits, how they used to live off in the mountains after they've been kicked out from the tribes. They used to attack the caravans coming from the north to the south. And they used to behead the men, kill the men, take women, sex slave, and take the spoils in Arabic called ghanaim. That's, that's how this is their lifestyle. And the kids as well, they used to take them, most of the time rape them and train them to be like them. It's like building another an army of, of a gangsters, of a mafia to, to grow in numbers. So Muhammad, basically, he gave them what they want. So he did hijra, immigrant to Medina with these people. And he managed to use the political conflict between the tribes because the region in Arabic Peninsula, which is Saudi Arabia, even till today, it's a tribal region. And uh, the tribe of Al-Aws, tribe of Al-Khazraj, many other tribes, they used to fight together, political conflicts. So he used this group to help the others for any tribe and each tribe who wants to fight other tribe. So they need an army or they need some men who does not fear death or they are there and they're willing to slaughter people and behead them and, and do whatever they want, right? So here you go, Muhammad built the first army and went back to Mecca and start something called jihad, which is war against the infidel. And he, he said who, he does not want to submit to Islam, to Sharia law, and to believe that I am a messenger of Allah. First, they either submit to Islam or pay the jizya or be killed if they refuse. So therefore, Muhammad starts something called Al-Futuhat Al-Islamiyah in Arabic, the conquest, the opening, they call it. Each and every, each and every city, the, he said to his follower, it should be opened for Islam. And uh, he said, I will never live in the land of Arab, Christian or Jew, only Muslims. So basically, without the bandits and the thugs and the criminals, Muhammad, he would have not gone nowhere. And he made the Sharia law, which is the in Quran, 
accommodating for these the criminal act to be uh, justified. Uh, for example, they made marrying underage girl halal to accommodate their pedophilians actions. He made killing the infidels, the Christians, the Jews, anyone who does not believe Islam justified halal. Supposedly they are the enemy of Allah. So he justified so many things to, to have the criminals have their the law uh, to cover their actions. Therefore, Muhammad started and the conquest gone one city after another, even after the death of Muhammad, that was the first caliphate, political leader, Abu Bakr uh, al-Siddiq. And therefore, Muhammad established a state, the Islamic state, not the Islamic, just a ritual and religion. And that's all about it. And leave others if they want to join or not. It's up to them. In Mecca, he used the so-called peaceful messages. Oh, you have your religion. I have my religion, which has been abrogated when he went to Medina. So anything he said in Mecca is gone. It should not be used. And that what Muslims and now societies, what they say, they recite or they give you the peaceful, so-called peaceful verses from the Quran, which it should not be used. Everything true and everything is being used from the time of Medina, exactly 100% what so-called terrorists, I call them the true Muslims, which is ISIS, Hamas, Boko Haram, Al-Qaeda, Taliban, Al-Shabaab, all these are the true Muslims. Well, that begs a question, doesn't it? The idea that is there a true Islam? From what I'm hearing you say is that the other subsects of Islam, can they not go off and form their own subsect of Islam and pick the peaceful parts and make their own religion out of that and make that a legitimate religion just as other religions have evolved? No, I would I'm, I'm encouraging people to leave Islam at all, all of it. Because at the end, it's not a, it's not a like a message from God. It's a man-made book. Quran itself, well, it's a man-made book. You talked about the area being tribal. Yeah. What if I were to suggest to you that the problem's not Islam, but tribalism, and that, irrespective of whatever religions existed or did not exist at the time, concurrent with tribalism, they would invent a religion that would eventually fulfill whatever political and violent goals they had if it worked and if it served their cause. Isn't tribalism really the cause? Because the Mideast has had a history in the midst of all this Islamic teaching of having become quite westernized until a couple of decades ago. And there's a lot of Muslims that, who say, yeah, we, you know, the women, we could dress like normal women. You know, this was in all the Mideast countries. All of that has just changed recently. When the, they discovered the oil and when the Shah of Iran was deposed. All that, of a sudden, that was sort of a marking point. Ayatollah Khomeini come into Iran and boom, it started. They now had a state from which to base all of the terrorism. So Bob's got a good point here. I mean, if you have a tribal mentality, a tribal philosophy, a tribal ideology, at the base of these people's thinking, then they would be ripe for any dictator to come along and to tell them what to do and to join the tribes and then to go to war with everybody. Does that figure into your, your criticism of Islam, the underlying or into the big tribal picture. root of what makes the Arab world, at least, uh, ripe for such a, a dictatorship? Yes and no, even though with the conflict between some uh, tribes here and there, uh, Mecca, it was a, a multicultural city. 
the tribe of Quraysh that was controlling Mecca, uh, they were peaceful to everyone and letting everyone to practice. There were the Jews in Medina as well. There was uh, uh, many other like um, paganism, the whole whatever they used to do, the Hajj and the Umrah and Ramadan. It was a pagan ritual. It has something. It has nothing to do with Islam. It's like Chris- it's, Christmas. Here. Yeah, it was there <laughs> before Islam, the Hajj and pilgriming to the Kaaba. It was there before Islam. Mm-hmm. Like he did not bring anything new when it comes to the religious rituals. But he it's just a collection. So he basically got rid of the free thinkers in. He Mecca. just yes. He collects some ritual, even the wadu. Many of the Islamic ritual is a collection from other rituals who were already there. Yes, maybe they were needed uh, like a, maybe a, a political leader, but not in the sense of uh, genociding and killing other tribes. Like, for example, in Medina, there were four Jewish tribes. Banu Qurayda, Banu Anadir, Banu Kainuka. Uh, the Jews of Khaybar. So these four tribes, just because they refused to submit to him as a prophet, not as a political leader, they refused to believe that he is a prophet of God and they refused to convert to Islam. So that's the conflict here. If he came as a political leader only and leave the people worshiping whatever they want to worship and do whatever they want to do, and he uh, like uh, created a constitution uh, like um, a secular constitution would have been no problem. But he put the religion into it. He put the coverage, supposedly God is telling him to do that. So he merged it together. So that's that's the problem here. You cannot you can separate the state from the church, right? But you cannot separate the state from mosque. Mosque is the state. So your crusade, to use that word, <laughs> uh, going across Canada to teach people about the root of Islam, not what you may see uh, on television or a little mosque on the prairie or what you might hear from the mainstream media, but to actually go out there and to take a part in a form of exegesis of the Quran and teach people the history of it. That you you consider to be a way to um, turn people off of Islam to let them know the truth about it so that they can judge for themselves whether or not they want to belong to such a religion slash ideology or not. Is that the purpose for your crusade? Again, I'll use that word. Sorry (laughs) if you you don't like that word. No, actually, the Muslims, many Muslims uh, till today, they use the ancient words. They called us the crusaders, you know, the Abad al-Salib, you know, they think we worship the cross. So that's why they, they call us the crusaders. But my main goal, not uh, the infidels and kafirs, uh, not to submit to Islam or not, or not to convert to Islam. My main mission, Muslims first. I want them to realize the danger of Islam uh, because to me it breaks my heart when I see many Muslim young kids, youth, uh, they leave even Canada and born raised in Canada and they went and joined ISIS. It breaks my heart when I see uh, uh, Muslims willing to die for Allah and willing, willing, like to the point that they're giving their life and all their uh, energy towards something. It's false. It's not a true. Muhammad, uh, he was, I would say, the most evil person walk on earth. Uh, he was. He was not. He, he's not a prophet. He's a false prophet. He's a liar. 
and he did lots of damage to his own people in Mecca, okay, before anyone else. The Quran, like the message in the Quran itself, it, it's not a godly message. It's evil message. Uh, 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 it brings hate in the people's hearts. And that's why I'm encouraging Muslims to open their heart, to open their mind, to, to, to criticize. I want them first to criticize, to be able to think for themselves, because many Muslims are brainwashed from the imams, the imams as well, like controlling them. That's why many Muslims, they don't even like, uh, especially the one who do not know the Arabic language, like the Persians, uh, like uh, Farsis, you know what I mean, or Pakistani mm -hmm. Muslims or or any other like some African, they don't really know what, what uh, the Quran actually say. And the oath that we have to give in school and whatever they give in madrasas, okay? That's something I used to repeat it in schools over and over in school that they teach us since we are young. Islam, it's our religion. Um, Muhammad is our prophet. Quran, it's our constitution. Jihad, it's our way. And dying for Allah, it's our ultimate dream. That's what we used to recite almost every day in school since we are young. This is the brainwashing from the beginning. And when they bring all these um, the, from in the execution square, I witnessed the beheading myself. Uh, in Saudi Arabia, they, they, do the, they cut the hands for the uh, thief. They flog the woman commits adultery. So many things, you know, happen. It's dehumanized. And, and they, we, we have to hate the infidels, especially the Jews. We must hate the Jews. Allah cursed them. Muhammad hate them. Uh, we must, as a Palestinian, we used to praise the terrorists who could go and bomb and do suicide bombing. We, we call them hero. We praise Hitler. We praise the Holocaust. We say, okay, we should do. Hitler did one mistake. He left some Jews behind you know, mm -hmm. anti-Semitism is rooted in the Quran. Hatred for the Christians, it's rooted in the Quran, in the Hadith. So therefore, my escape from Sharia law, I did not left a religion. I left, I would say, a, a mindset of militant, like Muhammad was a warmonger. Like, uh, I felt like I'm, I'm, I'm a member of a military, uh, like a, ma a mafia, what? gangster. No, I don't want to do that. I don't want to hate. I just want to love everyone and anyone. Well, that's a great note to end the show on because yeah. certainly as uh, the hour went by, I guess it proves the point that Ayn Rand always used to say that faith and force, when you combine them, religion and politics, are the destroyers of the modern world. And it's time that we went for that secular society that all religions can live and non-religions can live together yes. under in a peaceful way. Thank you, Sandra and Ted, for joining us today. And for the rest of you, please join us again next week when we'll continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be Look, look, look at this fine specimen, a slave among slaves. What am I offered? Five shekels. Seven. I have seven. I have seven. Who will give me eight? Eight. Sold to Mufesta Kem for seven shekels. Excuse me. Oh, wait, wait, wait. One was omitted. What is thy name? Uh, uh, Nelson, I'm a tourist. I'm just traveling through. A traveler. <laughs> a man of culture who can tutor thy children. What am I bid for this fine specimen? You don't understand, sir. I can't stay. I'm on my way to a very important experiment. Excuse me.
<laughs> Mark that fighting spirit. Ha-ha! This one you can harness to the plow and spare the oxen. He will work at home or toil on the fields. How much do I hear? One shekel is all he is worth. One shekel? I'm a college graduate. I'm worth at least... Let me out of here.